This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. Series 2 was recorded over the summer of 2017. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome to the second series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast with me, Simon Stevens. The experience of watching a play that seems in some way to speak directly or resonate in a way that feels disarmingly personal has led many playwrights to write for the first time. So it was with Penelope Skinner, who in 2004 was so startled and moved by Jack Thorne's When You Cure Me at the Bush Theatre that having spent years writing, as she puts it, the first chapters of novels and bad poems and a diary, she started writing her first play. The play she wrote, Fucked, was a striking success. Its production at the Old Red Lion in 2008 not only led to a successful revival at the next year's Edinburgh Fringe, but brought her to the attention of London's new writing theatres. She joined the Royal Court Young Writers Programme, saw early plays Don't Look Back produced at the Young Vic and Eigengrau produced at the Bush and co-wrote the National Theatre's exploration of the dangers of climate change, Greenland. I first came across her writing when her beautiful noir play, The Sound of Heavy Rain, was produced by Payne's Plough on their first roundabout season. It was an underrated piece, a play of as much humanity and fearlessness as it had literary wit. But it was her first play for the Royal Court, The Village Bike, that won her the George Devine Award and the Evening Standard Award for Most Promising Playwright and really brought her to international attention. In the years since that play, she's written with success for film, co-writing How I Leave Now, and TV as a writer on Fresh Meat, and seen her theatre produced with real success on both sides of the Atlantic. Her relationship with Manhattan Theatre Club echoes her increasingly important relationship with the Royal Court. Here, her play Linda was a forceful and eloquent examination of that startling injustice of a structural patriarchy, the ageing process. A writer of remarkable formal confidence and striking anger, what I loved about Linda, my favourite of her plays to date, was its capacity to dramatise that injustice with a confidence and panache that released its rage rather than diluting it. At what has felt like a thrilling time for new women writers, she's been described by The Independent as Britain's leading feminist writer. For my money, she's a writer of searing formal elegance, clear compassion and piercing honest humour. And it is a pleasure to have her here. Penelope Skinner, (laughs) welcome to the Royal Court. Oh, thanks. (laughs) You were good at that. That was... You know, that was nice. (laughs) I should say before we start as well that you're not here on your own, are you? No. Who who else is with you? Watson. Watson the dog, (laughs) who I'm telling you, if I get distracted during this podcast, and I may, it'll be because Watson the dog is one of the most beautiful dogs I've ever seen. Oh, that's nice. uh, I might actually change the podcast and do it all about Watson. (laughs) Yeah, you can. I I want to ask you the question which I've been asking everybody on these series. Uh, which is, when was the first time you went to the theatre? The first time I went to the theatre, I don't know if I can remember that. Probably to see a pantomime. Where were you brought up? Where were you? Where were you born? Reading. Born? Reading. Yeah. Did they have a theatre? I don't you go remember to... going to the theatre in Reading. No. So where would the pantomime have been? Probably, where probably... would the pantomime have been? I don't remember going to an actual pantomime. Maybe right. it was a school pantomime or something. But I remember going to a Terry. 
Pratchett play in Abingdon, which is there. We moved to Abingdon right. in Oxfordshire, and they right. had a little theatre there that did... I don't know what, what they did, but occasionally they'd do pantomimes or weird plays, and one was... Um, I think it was Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett. Wow, did he write plays? No, somebody had made it into a play, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, and I guess it was maybe Abingdon Amateur Dramatic Society, I don't know. Now I feel like I'm maybe... I don't know who it was, but I remember that play. (laughs) It was good, good. yeah. I I think Amateur Dramatics is really underrated. Have yeah. you seen any of your plays done by amateur dramatic companies? No, I'd really companies? love to, yeah. I saw On the Shore of the Wide World done by an amateur oh, dramatic. Did you? It was so beautiful. Wow. It made me so happy. Did yeah. you go a lot to amateur dramatics? You're, are you from a family that went to the theatre? No, no. my granddad apparently was quite into it. Right. But I didn't know him very well because he died when I was really small. So right. he was really into it and he made my grandmother be in his plays that he put on in Crewe, which is where they were from, um, Nantwich near Crewe. And he apparently was very took it really seriously and was really keen on his amateur dramatics company in their yeah. village where they were from. But um, my mum goes to the theatre and she probably is the person who took me once I was older. Right. Um, We'd go to Oxford Playhouse and see right. things there. Right. And we went to The Hobbit at the Oxford Playhouse. That's the thing that I remember. The Hobbit is the one that kind of changed my relationship to theatre, probably, because was, that was amazing. And that was the thing that made me probably love theatre from rather than maybe think it was boring or something. Yeah. That was the one that where I really got drawn in and wanted to stay and cried when I left because I knew it was over. And I knew I'd never be there again, and it was the best thing ever. Probably the, that was the experience where, you know, when you have a good experience in the theatre, it's, mm. like, better than any other yeah. art form, I think. But a lot of the time it's also <laughs> not. That's the problem with it. I, so. think it I, I think I completely agree with that. It's our best art form and the most exasperating because our hopes are so high yeah. because when it's that good, it's extraordinary. Yeah. But it's not always... I mean, you know, for some pers- one person it can be that good and... You cannot get it. Yeah. So it's, t- it's so subjective as well. But yeah. That was the one where I went, oh, that was... Do you remember how old you were? I think I was 11. Right. Yeah, and I just all I remember was there was a big map and Gandalf was really big. But that's... For some reason, it was really life-changing. No, that's really yeah. beautiful. <laughs> how far was Abingdon to Oxford? It's like half an hour. Because I have a thing... I just was talking about this uh, last week, that I realised that going on the half-hour journey from Stockport to Manchester... On a school night as well, that was the thing. You go out into the city on a school night was as formative for me as anything else. So even from childhood, theatres associated with cities and transgression. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and special, something special. Yeah, yeah, and special, something special with your mum. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That she gets it in the same way and now she goes to new plays which oh, she we wouldn't have done then you know yeah. but now she'll come to London and see a new play and oh, um, so I feel like in that way now I've introduced her to something yeah. new which she didn't used to do which is nice did you go to secondary school in Abingdon as well yes yeah yes how was um, uh, did you get involved in theatre there or I anything? did a bit yeah, yeah. Um, I was Dr Faustus <laughs> yeah, Wait, in the Marlowe, in the Marlowe. Um, yeah. what kind of not in the full, to? not in the full. It, was, it only had girls in. That's why right. I got to be Doctor Faustus. 
Do you Otherwise, enjoy the opportunity enjoy, wouldn't have been open. Did you enjoy being but an actor at school? I only that was the only thing I did. I think. Oh right. no, I did like a play when I was younger at school. I like the idea of only having one acting role in your school <laughs> career and it being Doctor Faustus. <laughs> it's like so pretentious. <laughs> it's not pretentious. It's quite a good role. It's <laughs> if a really you're going to do role. one role. Yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I guess. That, and then I then I tried to become an actor. So then I was like, then my eyes were like, I thought it was all going to be Doctor Faustus. So did, I mean, it was like I couldn't even get an audition. The, <laughs> When you say you tried to become an actor, yeah, I tried to be an actor. Like what? What? I moved in to what, London. To be in an what actor. sense did you go to drama school? I went to. I did a course of drama for one year. Yeah, so what I else? went to Oxford School of Drama. <laughs> I didn't go far. Right, Oxford School of Drama for one year, which is based in South London. No, in, no, it's based in Oxford. Yes, no, well, have... Woodstock. It's near right, Oxford. Right. Okay. Well, it was then. This was in like two thousand and one or something. Yeah. So I think it's still there. I've because I've, I've I've been to speak to the Oxford School of Drama in South London. And it's oh, quite, I think they do that now. Yeah, they moved to London for right. the end. Mm. I think the third, the people who do the three year course move to London and okay. they do their showcase uh, right. in London. I think. Right. Uh, maybe how they do. That? A, how was that? Uh, that I loved. Yeah. That, yeah. What did yeah. you love about it? Um, we learned all. I think it was very good training to be a writer, to be a playwright, really, because you learned all Stanislavski and. Um, how to be in another, how to create an imaginative world in quite a structured way, quite a... Yeah, um, yeah. In, to, to really go into the character, each character, your own character, which I think serves you quite well when you're writing a play in terms of developing each character, that kind of thing, so... And objectives, and, you know, just dramatic language, I guess, which I didn't have any um, specific understanding of. Otherwise, so I think I, I think that's the one thing I like by not having an actor training is I really had to get my head around the notion of writing being dramatic rather than literary. Mm. So when a when a line in a scene has an action and a spring, yeah, as an actor you can just tell because you're kind of speaking words for no reason. Yeah, but uh, sometimes when you're writing from a more literary background, if the sentence is beautiful, regardless of its energy, you just want to hold on to it yeah yeah I, yeah that's, that's true I don't think I did enough acting to know whether I would have been able to know that as an actor if you why know did I mean. you why did you stop after a year oh no I did that was right. that was only meant to be a year okay and then I moved to London right and then I just never got any work <laughs> <laughs> how old were you or, when you moved to London like 23 right was which in my mind was way past it yeah. you know I was like well I'm much too old probably to ever work or you know, did do you, anything. Did you? So. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty old, 23, to be is, fair. Yeah, you were yeah. right about that. Yeah. Yeah. What I, did you do? What did you do for, like, money? Oh, I did um, uh, loads of things. I did a lot of giving out, the, you know, give out the newspaper at the station. Yeah. Uh, Evening Standard, Metro, Free Muffins. I did. And Great. then I fell into doing admin. That was my kind of bread and butter was admin in offices. Which was most useful in your future writing career, having given out free muffins and newspapers or working in admin? Well, I guess admin drove me to write, probably, right. in the end. In what because way? despair. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Just the brink of despair. The desperate need to get yeah. the fuck out of the <laughs> office. Yeah. Something like that, maybe. And, and time, you know, I had time. Yeah. To write yep. when I when I worked in offices because that was what I did. It was you know a lot of someone's now taught me that if you do an admin job, you all you have to do is 
um, like if someone comes past and you want to look busy, yeah. you just open a drawer <laughs> and like look in it. And that's all you need to do. I would never have lost any of my jobs if I'd known that, you know, simple trick. But I didn't know that then. I always think people underestimate the importance of jobs in which you don't earn money from writing for writing careers. And I always kind of distrust writers who make too much money too soon. Yeah. Because they've never had to do a proper job. So. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where your pain comes from. <laughs> You've had to have a lot of pain early on, I think. Or how you meet um, people who aren't working in theatre. Yeah, like, yeah. I've got loads of material working as a barman. Yeah. Mainly because, like, you're sober while everybody else is drunk. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, I never like, did that. Giving out newspapers, you, you're interacting with the city in a particular well, the, way. Yeah, and muffins are the best because then you realise how nice most people are when you're giving them a muffin. That's right. like... People are, it's really like um, being, I don't know, you must have been at school when you got milk. Yeah. Like, so I am you know when the old. milk came out and everyone was like, <laughs> yeah, hooray, exactly. the milk's here. Yeah. It's like that when you go about a muffin at the station. People are like, people come and they queue and they're like really happy to see you. Yeah. And that's quite, so that's quite a positive. It's just usually you have to start at like four o'clock in the morning. That's what's bad about it. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. When did you start writing? Because you, I, I, I can't remember where I found the quote, the rather beautiful quote about a diary, bad poems, and the first chapters of novels. Had you wanted to be a writer from childhood? No, I just always had written, but it never had occurred to me to become a writer or to be a writer. I don't think. I think I thought I wanted to be a teacher, and then I wanted to be an actor, and yeah. then when I thought I, I think yeah, that was that, those were the two. Those were my two thoughts, but I think actor always felt out of reach. That always felt like something that I wouldn't really do. So what were you writing for? Just myself. Just would write. I would never show anyone. I would just write, like, things, and that would oh. be it. It's a re- as, <laughs> no, it's a really beautiful... It's, it's an important thing to hold on to, I think. Yeah, probably, yeah. Like, Once you get... Do you still write for yourself now, when you're getting commissioned and... It's much harder. I can't. It's one thing yeah. in the last couple of years I've tried to do again. Yeah. Is just write stuff that I'm never going to show anybody. Yeah. You have to really make time, I think. that's um, Time becomes the hardest thing. Yeah. To write, to make time for writing just for the sake of writing. Yeah. I think that's. Who are you reading? Who do you remember reading when you were, uh, before you saw Jack Thorne's play? Who do you remember reading? Do you mean playwrights? Or? No, not necessarily. The writers that had introduced you to the possibility of writing as a means of communication or expression. Oh, I mean... Just favourite writers. That's a hard question. I mean, I've, I feel like I read um, children's and young adult books really enthusiastically. Yeah. And um, anything, and would yeah. read anything, up until I did an English degree, which is what I did after school. I went to York and did English at university before I wanted to become... Yeah, because that was the... That wasn't in your story of your... (laughs) You missed that bit out. When did you go to York? When I was 18, so after school. So I went to York. Oh, yeah, that's right, and so did Nick Payne. Yeah, Yeah. do you there with Nick Payne? No, I'm much older than Nick Payne. He was like... Nick Payne's about 12, isn't he? Yeah, he's 12 years old. It's really (laughs) distressing. What years were you there? I was there in 1988 to 90... Okay. 89 to 92, I was there. I was then 96 to 99. Did, did you got the drama barn? 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Really... So I did acting there, yeah. And Sean Holmes was there when I was there as well. Okay, so you did okay. do, you acted in the drama bar. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool for only... just me and you. Nobody else oh, yeah, listening no. to this is going to find that cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that yeah. doesn't matter. I'm not doing this for anybody else apart from me. <laughs> Yeah, I'd forgotten that you went to York. I should have included that in my story. Did you enjoy studying English? No. So that was what happened is mm. I went to do, book, like, basically, I realised this the other day as well. I, I got to university and I was like, oh, I've got two hours a week of, uh, like, classes. Mm. And the only thing I have to do is read all these books. Like, I'm so bored. What am I meant to do with all this time? And now I realised well, I was meant to read all those books <laughs> and then go to the class and, like, talk about them. Yeah. But I didn't, something, I was too, I don't know what it was. I just hadn't, wasn't used to having that much free time, you know. Right. Free yeah. time. Yeah. As in not a lesson followed by a lesson. Yeah, very good. Structures removed Structure. when you go to university. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the idea that I would just off my own back read loads of books, which were not for fun, mm-hmm. but which were for, you know, worthiness or something, education or... <laughs> I don't know, I just wasn't that... So did you not read them? It didn't suit me. I didn't read them, no. I'd go to the two hours, having read, like, a bit of it the night before, (laughs) and then be like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Always try and talk about chapter one really early on in the seminar. So I I think I was evidence for why, I don't know, you shouldn't be given a grant to go to university or something. (laughs) (laughs) I, I did a history degree precisely because I wanted my relationship with literature to remain that of a lover, not an analyst. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that was good in retrospect. I think it probably was, because yeah. that was definitely when... I, I, my relationship to reading changed probably at that point and hasn't completely recovered. So you're, Now you're, I have guilt, which yeah. I didn't used to have. So. <laughs> we, yeah. yeah. Guilt about not reading enough. Guilt about what I read. Right. And what I don't read. Right. And when I don't read and how I should read more. I think probably every intelligent person in the world feels that guilt to a degree. Yeah. I get really depressed when writers list the things they're reading, and it's like, you know, Cervantes and (laughs) James Joyce. Yeah. I'm basically reading Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Like, ever. Yeah. 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 So what, tell me about the Jack Thorne thing, then, because that... That's a weird thing, yeah. Yeah, you went, it was 2005... Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's produced in two thousand and five. Okay. You you graduated from university. Yeah. You'd um, done your year at Oxford School of Drama. Tried to be an actor. Tried yeah. to be an actor. Yeah. Got jobs in admin. Given out the yeah. muffins. Yeah. Was still. I was writing still in that. admin. I was still working still, in admin yeah. then. Yeah. And, but what made you start going to new plays? Or was it the Jack? Thorne I think thing? when I'd moved to London yeah. and realised that new plays were a thing. Right. And the actors were in them. Yeah. Then I would go and see them. Great. That was. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really know that happened before. I don't think. Yeah. I moved to London, and then, uh, so I had become interested. I lived in Shepherd's Bush, so that was my local theatre, and um, I went to see that play, and it was one of the experiences of being in a, having a communal reaction to a play, which I think in my own head. For reasons which I probably won't go into, but like for, for emotional reasons, I'd mm. always felt like, oh, if you put that story on stage, yeah. people would judge it. People would not understand, or yeah. people would not have a sympathetic point of view, or something like that. Yes. That's. But what my experience with watching that play was that people were open and sort of <sighs> empathetic and not judgmental as an mm. audience, and so 
but at the same time, the play wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. For myself, it wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. So it was something about the experience of watching that play with an audience and finding it not quite the play that I needed it to be that made me want to write the play that I then wrote, I guess. So that was... It doesn't really make sense. It makes astonishing sense to me. Okay. Because I think when you see plays as a writer, I think there's that combination of, on one hand, kind of awe or admiration. Mm -hmm. Sometimes plays like that, like Jez Butterworth's The Ferryman... Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to quit watching that because it was so broad and so expansive and every character was so nuanced. I just thought, I'm never going to be able to mm. do that. I might as well just go and be a teacher. Yeah. And then other plays are actually as inspiring when they're not quite complete mm-hmm. and you see gaps that things... I always think we write the plays that we wish other people had written so we can see them. Yeah, that is something. It's like the play that you, as the audience, need. Sometimes a play is just what you need. Yeah. And sometimes you feel like you... Re- you think about yourself in that audience and yes. you want to write the play for what that audience person needs. Yeah. That's somehow what it was. That so, was somehow that. So but I've you, never reread it. I've never I never want to. No. I never want to You've look worked back with at Jack. It. I know, I know. Did you tell him this story? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. And I think that I don't know I can't tell you that um knowing more of his work or knowing knowing more I would have had the same I don't know. I just mm. never I never want to look at it again because mm-hmm. I just had that experience. But you did want to write but I did want to write as a result of seeing it. A Can play. you t- tell me about the writing of Fucked? Do you remember much about it? Yeah, it took a really long time, and I did it. And where I worked at this place called Visit Britain, which right. is like the tourist board. Right. Now they've got a new name. Yeah. And I remember that I would write that play. I was, I must, I must have been still writing that play. Two, at least two years after that Jack Thorne play. Right. And it was on, I think, three years after. So, and I was writing it that whole time. So, that is. And what did, what was your do you, did you have a process that you were conscious of, or were you just kind of writing dialogue that you imagined being spoken? Did you plan? Did you prepare? Well, or it's a monologue, right? So, I think which is a natu- maybe that's a natural form for a first play, yeah. which is kind of just like a vomit in a way. That play was kind of yeah. a vomit, which then got shaped over years of. And learning more about dramaturgy and um, I don't know that was the f- and it was that was the thing where I was like going to show it to people you know I showed it to people right so the guy who eventually directed it Daniel Goldman I met yeah. him in a writing group right um, that he had joined as a writer yeah and and shared it with that writing group as like a piece of writing and then he had said oh I would like to direct that and that oh, was wow. how that play came about where happening. was the writing group can't remember anything about it really other than that. We met maybe through the, our young Vic had a website or something. Right, there was right, like right. an advert on a website right. for a writers group. Maybe somebody on there had set it up. Yeah. And I just had gone online and thought I'd go along, and yeah. that was how that happened. So it was quite random. What were your was, memories of the production? I was no, I've never been more scared. I don't think. Oh, thanks. I've actually gone here. That's the most scared I think I'll ever be. <laughs> Doing a play, right. I think I don't because I didn't see it, mm. and I and uh, I've not read it to my shame. I'm that well prepared. <laughs> you, I think you could only read it if I'd sent it to you. Probably. Right, it's, it's not been published. Way, so, no. Right. So who played the monologue? Becky Gemmell. Right. Okay. 
She played it there in the Old Red Lion and then yeah. in Edinburgh a year later. We went to Edinburgh. But it was Edinburgh. a success. I mean, it, by the time that had come out, everybody in the New York theatres were talking about Penny Skinner. Yeah, Penny it's Skinner. weird, isn't it? Because you wouldn't necessarily know that was... Well, I didn't know that that was going to happen. I didn't know what right. happened, Yeah, really. It was more the act of putting on the play that felt like the thing that I had to do. Right. And... Because um, yeah. I'd thought about, send, you know, I never sent it to any theatres or anything because yeah. I just thought, oh, they'll never want to do this. Right. I'd, you know, because there is this thing about monologues and mm-hmm. theatres don't want to do them. And so I think I'd heard that. And I'd done some stuff at Hampstead. By the time it went on, I'd done like a short scratch thing at Hampstead. So I'd got more involved in the world of new writing yeah. um, over, over the last maybe year or so of that before that play went on. Yeah. So I knew a bit more than I did before about how things worked or whatever, but I just did not assume. I didn't I didn't feel rejected by anyone. I didn't sort of maybe I protected myself from big building rejection, you know, by just thinking oh, I'll just put it on in this place and then expectations are really low. Yeah. And then if you fail horribly, you if only only a few people will notice. Maybe that's the feeling. It's a very interesting thing. Very interesting to me when I was working here at the Young Writers Programme, the gender balance between the groups was about 70%, 60% female to male. Mm. The gender balance on the stage was the inverse of that. Uh, I think it's better now, the, in- the proportion on this stage at the Royal Court, but I think generally it's probably not, still not that shy of 30% mm. female writers. And there's a big question about why that is. One of the things that I found again and again was this sense that I would go in to teach the groups and quite mediocre male playwrights would give me finished plays on the first day of the group as though they were giving me the future to the Royal Court (laughs) (laughs) and and, and that I was going to just... Name them. In awe, in awe. <laughs> and, you know, no, 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 because no, I can't remember them. The good ones didn't. Like the ones I worked with, the ones I worked with who went on to write properly, the Mike Bartlett's, DC Moore's, the John Donnelly's, wow. they, Simon Vinicom's, they, they're really good writers, but there yeah. were other male writers whose names I've forgotten who did that. And then brilliant female writers would be really reluctant to give me their plays. So Chloe Moss, whose play was produced in the Young Writers Festival the, my first year there, I practically had to lock her in my office to get her to finish the play so she was writing on my computer so she couldn't delete it. Wow. You're nodding when I tell this story, but hearing you talk about your own writing, and that, do you recognise that sense of entitlement being easier for male writers or female writers, or is this specious conjecture on my behalf? It may well be. No, I, don't, uh, I think it's the... I, I think playwright is particularly bad because in your head when you think of playwrights, you just don't really... Especially if you don't know much about playwrights, it's not yeah. something that your mind... The ones that you know, if you know any, yeah. tend to be men. Right. And so I think maybe the idea of being a playwright early on before you know much about it is yeah. quite a weird idea yeah. and therefore maybe a novel maybe if you were teaching a novel course it would be different I don't yes, know good. Yeah. but um yeah as also, teenagers the, the the writers we read the novelists or poets may be female the playwrights are often when you're doing GCSE courses are often male I'd say they're almost always yeah. aren't they I mean yeah. I don't remember yeah we did Hobson's Choice I think and yeah some Shakespeare and Pygmalion, 
Yeah. You know, maybe you've heard of Alan Bennett and you've probably heard of Tom Stoppard, yeah. but you probably haven't heard of Carol Churchill, exactly. even though she's famous in the world of theatre. Exactly. And April DeAngelis and exactly. Rebecca Lenkovich, these yeah. people that you hear, you hear of yeah. once you're in the world. But but before you get into that world, yeah. it's a masculine-dominated Yeah, so the idea narrative. of writing a play and voice, and it's so... I mean, it's like a big thing to... It's a big thing to give your voice to lots of people at the same time Very as well, good. I think. Yeah. Um, maybe which is why a monologue feels safe in the beginning, that you're not, right. you're not claiming to know anybody else's inner mind uh, or something. I don't know, yeah. maybe that's yeah. why. Um, it's a public forum as well. So yeah. when you were sitting in the Old Red Lion or the Edinburgh Fringe, yeah. where did you play in Edinburgh? Assembly rooms. Right. So you sit in the assembly rooms, you sit in the old red line, you're surrounded by 50 to 100 other people who yeah. are all judging. <laughs> yeah. What was that yeah. like? You said no, it was the most ter- terrifying. terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the night, the, the before the first night that we did the play, I went into the toilets at the old red line and I just said, why have I done this terrible thing to myself? Why? I wish I hadn't done it. I shouldn't have done it. Do you still get that now? Not as much, because I think that was so terrible. Yeah. Um, so it was... <laughs> It was very. Per- I'd made it really personal as well, which I think is like a, that's where you go to first. Maybe maybe the first things you write mm-hmm. tend to be the most personal. They so can be, yeah. it was like really personal. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd had to like write to my parents to tell them about it before it was on, and to to sort of warn them and things like this. So it was it was kind of an exercise in something, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think it'll ever be that bad. Even downstairs at the Royal Court or whatever, was, will never be as bad as that. I think I was as nervous or more nervous watching Birdland as any other play, including yeah. the stuff that I wrote at York University for the Drama Barn. I always think, I'm like, uh, I always have a moment where it's like, if I'd stayed at Gateways managing, the, I, I'd definitely be like the regional manager of the co-op by now. Yeah. Probably have a company car. <laughs> Everything would be great, be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Which was an analogy that used to work better before the crash of 2008, because like, <laughs> regional managers of the car are probably just as nervous as playwrights now. Yeah, yeah. The, um, but you carried on writing. Yeah. You went to the Young Writers Group. I did. At the Royal Court. Was that yeah. with Leo Butler? Yes. What was that like? That was really good, yeah, because I thought, as again, I thought I was too old for it. And now I don't think they have this age No, they got rid thing. of the age thing. It used but, to be a funding-related thing. That's right, but apparently it was just a lie, you know. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I was 30 when I did it, so it obviously was not... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to <laughs> stick up for the, the Young Writers Programme just because I worked there and I know that Ola and the people who ran it, they felt contractually beholden to the people who were funding them that they had to stop letting people in at 26. Yeah. It's clearly they don't do that anymore. And you broke that ground. Well, I you don't know. smashed through that I wasn't that the only barrier. one. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was I light. wasn't even the only one maybe in my group. Light, yeah, but... maybe they they might have softened it up by yeah. then. But we can cut all this if it turns out. I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> no, we can't. can't no, we, we can libel Alana Masterman. <laughs> the, uh, but, um, so, what, so what was great about it? Meeting other people who wanted to be playwrights, that right. was really great. Because I think by then, by the time I did that, I was like, okay, yeah, this is good. This is, I feel good about this. I yeah. would like to do this more. And so meeting uh, sort of a community, I guess, in mm. a way. Who were you um, meeting? Who did you meet? I met on the first one, because I did that one, and then I did what they then called 
the invitation or the super group? I did the invitation group, group, and then I did the super group, and then I did one they called the mega group, which I don't know if we're allowed (laughs) to talk about that. They called mega group. That's brilliant. (laughs) We're not allowed to talk about that. Is Carol Churchill in that? (laughs) (laughs) The late great Sam Shepard. No, Mike Bartlett was in it. Mike Bartlett's pretty mega. Yeah, that's pretty mega. That's pretty mega. I think Nick Payne was in it. Great. That's great. And good people as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, just, there's something about the, when you realise that people who are trying to do the same thing as you are kind of fundamentally... You like them, that's always good, yeah, yeah. It's one of the best things about the writers I work with here at the Young Writers Programme is they all stayed friends with each other. Yeah. Which is, I think, very inspiring. Yeah, I think that's really, it's, because you don't, I don't know how you, it's really hard to meet playwrights otherwise. Yeah. I don't think I would, I'm not sure I would have met any playwrights otherwise. Is it possible to learn playwriting? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it is not possible to learn um, probably the... Um, I think you have to be prepared to do it, but I believe that anyone could write a play if they could be bothered. <laughs> that is... Because right. I just think it like you have to learn sort of what it is. Yeah. You have to want to do it. Yeah. And then you have to want to do it like a hundred more times on one play. That's the thing that I think maybe you can't teach. It's that inclination and determination. To keep going yeah. until it, it feels ready or something. Yeah. But I think the things like um, what is a play and what does a play need to be dramatic or, you know, I feel like I learned those things yeah. at the Royal Court probably, yeah. really, you know. Um, How was Leo as a teacher? Yeah, he was amazing, actually. Yeah. I think he was inspiring in a quiet way, yeah. in a kind of... Um, and he had to play on here while we were doing that group, so that was feel, felt important, I think, that he yeah. is still writing his own plays, and, you know, that's what his... What play was that? It was called Faces, Face oh, in the Crowd. Yeah, Face yeah. in the Crowd's gorgeous, yeah. yeah. Um, Such a great writer. Yeah. It's really and that play... I read his plays before I did the... Yeah course as well and yeah. I really liked them so yeah. I felt like learning from a playwright that's a good yeah. way to learn yes um, and what? he was very supportive I think of everyone's work I don't th- I feel like he didn't have an idea of what he wanted he just was supportive of whatever you wanted to write and that's important because you can get into a kind of wanting to impress mentality at a very place good. like this where yeah. you're like or you just want it to get your play on and yeah you know, you'll sort of do anything and not anything, but within the playwriting, <laughs> <laughs> within playwriting yeah, terms, exactly. you know, you might find yeah. yourself trying to make your writing go in a certain direction this theater, to get it on. The, this theatre particularly has kind of always tried, inspired writers to try and write a rule court play. Yeah. No matter what people in the rule court are saying to them about, there's no such thing. Or we want you to te- you what we want you to tell us what a rule court play yeah. is. It does. When I was when I was teaching, everybody was doing um, what they used to call smack and sodomy plays. Mm-hmm. There'd be anal sex and heroin use in all of them, and it's mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, drunk posh girls <laughs> like ten years later or whatever. Yeah. The um, uh, was it the group or were there other things that got you from the terror of that first night of fucked to writing? You know, the several plays you wrote after, you know, before The Village Bite, you'd written, written about five or six other plays. What got you, what got you through? I think I'd written five or six, but I think I'd written maybe two or three. Right. Three's nearly five in the world of Because one of those Greenland. Because <laughs> I don't yeah, think Greenland you... doesn't count. Why? That doesn't count. Because it was, because uh, actually that 
was the that was the play that made me go, okay, I'm never going to write a play again. Which isn't just somebody saying write a play. If it's anything other than just write a play, then I'm not going to do it because it's too hard. There's so much formal constraint in the writing of a play anyway. Yeah. That if you add things, yeah, like all the people have to be in rep with three other writers' plays, right? And you're writing them, and it's going to go on now, and it's got to be about climate change. Yeah. Then you're basically probably doomed to fail. Right. From the beginning, because it's just too much. Unless you you could get lucky, and it could be that the next play you want to write happens to have all those things, but it's not that likely because I feel like the play that you want to write next is just going to come out whatever it's. Yeah. going to be like it's yeah. just going to be whatever it is yeah you can't really control that i think so when do, so when when what i want to know is when you left uh the tourist board or whatever oh, yeah. I left <laughs> yeah. and there. when did you yeah. when did you go full are you do you write full time now yes. or are you writing for your living now i am yeah. yeah how long have you been able to be doing that uh i would say probably since the village bike Maybe since the right. village bike. So the village bike was a play which you started. Oh no, maybe before, right. maybe a bit before then. Because what happened was actually, you know what? It was before then because it was before I got this job um, writing internet dramas. Right. So that was probably Eigengrau time. Yeah. Writing like internet, which paid quite well. Yeah, and That great. actually allowed me to go to give up. Paid better than my admin job. Just two web dramas. But that was right. before. I don't think you can do that now. Right. I don't think there's the money now to do that. Whereas there was just a sort of, it was the end of pre-sort of recession. I don't know what it was. And also the kind of like cultural assumption that everything on the internet should be for free. Yeah. So nobody yeah. should get paid for anything, yeah. including kind of musicians or whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Probably was maybe before then and before. And when people, I think, thought that web drama was going to be... You know, everyone's going to start watching, yeah. where, which they sort of do, but they, they watch it on Netflix. On Netflix, they don't watch, exactly, They don't yeah. watch, like, a yeah. three-minute drama about Jacob's Creek. That's not what they're watching. Right, very good. They're not streaming that. Was that what you were writing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Village Bike. Uh, How did you start that? It's true you started it in one of the brilliant... In the group. Because yeah. Leo used to do this thing... Yeah. Where he would keep writers in the site, which is the building across the way from the Royal Court, yeah. for 24 hours, lock them in overnight. Is this yeah. true that this yeah. is where Village Bike started? That's where it finished. That's where it finished. Well, that's okay, where so draft one finished. Tell me about the writing of it. So the writing of it, yeah, began during that group. I think we were, we went, he made us go and sit, he made us, but he did, encouraged us to go and sit in the upstairs of the downstairs theatre yeah. when it was empty. Yeah, great. So we went in and like looked at the stage. And he was like, just, I don't know, it was just meant to inspire us. And I feel like it sort of did. And while I was sitting there, I had this idea about a bicycle. And at the same time, my mum and dad had this bird, which was, which kept flying into their window. Mm. And um, that bird, I don't know why, that was also sort of the beginning inspiration. So in the beginning of the play, there was a bird, Mm -hmm. which kept flying into their window. And that was sort of the beginning of the story that she couldn't sleep because of this bird. All of that went subsequently, right. but yeah. the bike stayed. Right. And so it was just these random ideas which somehow... I feel like if you keep random ideas in your head long enough yeah. without other things yeah. getting in the way, they yes. will eventually become a play, and that's sort of what happened with that. Over oh, what period of time were you accumulating these random thoughts? I don't know, because... You're making notes, like noting them down? Uh, 
Uh, I don't think so. I don't, it's I don't, just I don't memory. Remember. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think it's like just holding the idea that that might be the story in your head. The stuff that's good will stay. Something like that, yeah. And if it doesn't stay, it was never good enough. Some, yeah, I feel yeah. like, that, and you know how if you try and do a puzzle, mm-hmm. if there's like a bit you can't do, then that bit you can't think about. You have to take your mind off it. And Great. then two hours later you'll go, oh, of course it's this. Or Great, whatever. very good. And I think a play is like that. In a way it's like a puzzle that you just have to have it in your mind yeah. for as long as it needs to be there. And then gradually things will just fall into place of like what needs to happen or who the people are or the village bike wasn't that some of my plays have been much quicker than that mm-hmm. and Linda was like much slower than that so the village bike was sort of in between so fuck took two years that took but that was different because it, it was, was sort different because it was an expression yeah as you said, it's it was a vomit. something else so yeah. the village bike took how long well from writing it to it being on the stage yeah. it must have been at least I must have been writing it. I was writing it before Eigengrau was on. Right. So right, OK. Certainly. Okay. It was probably two Hence years. That's my mistake in the narrative of your career. But that was all confusing because yeah. I feel like I was definitely doing the Royal Court group before Eigengrau was on. Right. And I was writing Eigengrau before Fucked was on, probably, in some way, you know, but all things start off. Yeah, of course. And then you carry on with the next one. Do you remember the writing of The Village Bike? I, well, I rewrote it completely... At least three times. So Starting again completely. Yeah, yeah. Like not not rewriting a scene that's on your screen. No, completely starting completely again, yeah, yeah. What do you write on? Uh, a computer. Right. Is that what yeah. you mean? No, yeah. Yeah. Ali McDowell write... wrote X by hand with a pen. Is it? And I yeah, know I know. I hate him. I hate him in many ways. That's one of the reasons yeah. I hate Ali McDowell. Well, he probably isn't starting again, though, is he? No, he does. He does? Yeah. Wow. I hate, you hate him too now? Yeah. <laughs> Not as much as I hate... Oh, no, I can't say that. <laughs> well, you can edit it if you really want to. Go on, who no, I just remember reading once that Philip Pullman wrote The Northern Lights by hand and then got his wife to type them up. And I feel like that... <laughs> it's one thing to write by hand. You know, that's fair enough. But at I least... don't think Ali McDowell... I've met Ali McDowell's wife. She's pretty kick-ass. I can't imagine she was... That might not even be true about Philip Pullman. That's I'm really funny. The, but, but, um, but you weren't writing by hand. You, you write on a computer. Yes. Do you write on Word or Final Draft? Word. And do you write scenes before you plan them? Sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. you do. still start with images like you did with Village Bike? Sometimes. Yeah. Or conversation or, uh, and I, or it can be an image or a place or a person mm. or... Uh, like Linda was going to ride in on a horse at the end. That was oh, the original man. end of Linda. I know. Hold on to that. So much better, isn't it? Like if you want to edit that bit out of the podcast <laughs> so nobody else can nick it, <laughs> <laughs> I think you should uh, be so brilliant. I know, yeah. That was in the national version when I was going to write it for the national. She was going to ride in on a horse. And then changed. <laughs> the <laughs> Couldn't work the horse in. The, the, were you happy with Village Bike? Uh we did it again in America yeah. uh, two or three years later. At Manhattan Theatre Club? No, at Manhattan uh, MCC. Manhattan Class Company. It's very company. confusing, yeah. 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 The weirdly named Manhattan Class Company. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was MCC and I thought it was MTC. Okay. So then I've done Linda and another play at MTC. Yeah. It's very confusing, but MCC was Village Bike. Right. And, and I was much happier with it then. Because I had learned things about what people responded to when it was first on that I knew had not been my intention. And so I had the chance to kind of be a bit more 
having taken that into account or understanding, well, I don't think you always know what it is that you are saying or mm. people will think that you're saying. And that I feel like is very complicated, um, can be very complicated, especially maybe as a woman writing about a woman and writing about that subject matter that I totally understand. You're bringing a lot of your own stuff to that play yeah. before you've even watched it. So... Huh. There were just some things which I felt like, oh, I never meant that. I never meant that to be an annoying thing about the play. So I'm just going to change it this time because I can and I didn't feel... I feel like that's the joy of having the opportunity to do a play again is always, I would always change it. Yeah. I mean, unless it's, like, going on in another country, which I'm not going to go to. The unfinished nature of a play. The yeah. impossibility of finishing a play. yeah. If it's going on, you want to change it, I yeah. think. If there's anything about it which you weren't happy with or... Do you do that um, through preview and in rehearsal? Is, is, is rehearsal yeah. and preview a, a process of sifting yeah. refinements? I think it can be, yeah, I think it is um, to the point which actors probably maybe don't always like. Right. Can be, and maybe directors don't always find easy, but I would always want it to be, I don't know, I don't know when you... And then, obviously, there's always a point where you have to let go... And then you come back. In America, you have the chance to do these previews where they're yeah. quite happy for you to change things. Yes. And that is... Nervous if you don't change things. The previews yeah. in the US, in Manhattan especially, will last for two, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had it on first preview, they'd be a bit like, well, what are we all doing? That's sort of... The expectation is that once it's in front of an audience, there will, a new process will begin, which yeah, is the changing good. of things. And then the danger is, if unless you can take control over those changes, they they get restless and impose them on you when they're not necessary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do well, you? Look, that, there's definitely there's a lot of that. I think. Do you? Um, you say you and do, do you enjoy watching your plays now more than you enjoyed watching Fuck? You kind of said you're not that terrified because they're often not as autobiographical. What's the experience of watching a play like Village Bike or Eigengrau like for you? Hmm. I went to see Eigengrau. They did it at the King's Head, is it called? Mm. The King's Head? Mm -hmm. In Islington. They mm. did a, a fringe mm. production. Great. So that's the first time I've, I think I've been to see a fringe production of one of my plays that I've had Great. nothing to do with, Lovely. but that I could go and see. How was it? And that was, yeah, it was a, that was a good experience because I had had no, um, I didn't feel any responsibility, I guess, mm. and I didn't feel any, um, I mean, other than having written it in the first place, but actually, really, when you go and see a play that old, you don't really feel like the same, or I don't yeah. feel I'm just not the same person that yeah, I was exactly. when I wrote that play. So yeah. it's like, it is like looking at a play from a different person. Yeah. So you can enjoy it in a different way. Yeah. I could see loads of things about it that I was like, oh, I never realised that was what that even seemed like it was, or yeah, it was very weird. But um, yeah, I always think every t every time I I, I write and write a play, I'm writing something new and completely reimagining something and then I realise that I'm fundamentally rewriting the same story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's you... your preoccupation is what you're always going to write about. And maybe if you didn't think you were going to write something totally different, you wouldn't bother to write it. Yeah. But when you look back at it, you go, it's probably just the same thing, isn't it? Over and over again. Like there's a series of attempts to solve a problem yeah. that you never solve and so you have to try again. Yeah, and you always think you're going to do it this time. This yeah. time I'm going to write the play which is going to like somehow express that thing in a really in a way which everyone is going to understand and yeah. you know that will be it. But it, yeah, it never, it never is because the play is never what you want it to be by the time it's 
even written. Mm. It's failed, I think. How would you go on? I don't know. Well, no. I don't know. It's just it's never perfect, is it? It's just you never ever get to a point, and you have to share it. That's that's the difference between what I imagine writing a novel must be like, where you kind of get to go, this is it, before anybody reads it. You're going, this is what it is, mm. and now you can read it, and you can... Maybe I'll never really know what you think of it, I don't know. Mm. But a play, you... First you give it to the actors, and they'll tell you things, and change things, and that's all like good. I think that's a really good, enjoyable part of it, but yeah. it's never... It's already... It's out of your hands before it's long before it's reached the stage it's gone out of your hands so there's always I feel like there's always a that's maybe why you go on to write the next one for sure for sure I would completely agree with that yeah how do you cope with success like the success of Village Bike or the you know the international productions it's weird because I feel like there are other, there are other plays of mine like I have this play Fred's Diner which I like much better yeah but nobody else it likes done it it was done originally in Chichester and yeah. it has been done once in San Francisco. Right. Um, but that's it. It's never had another life or it's never had any... The, nothing like the, you know, the village bike, which is this kind of... Which makes me... I don't know. I don't know. It makes me a bit suspicious of why I feel like... I don't know what it is about that play that makes people want to do it versus the other plays that people don't want to do. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure I'd write that play now. Right. I don't know. Although so, I'm writing a film of it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you enjoy writing another media? Do you enjoy writing film and TV? Uh, yeah, for different reasons. Go on, yeah. what are the reasons? So there's a kind of, um, well, the freedom to think, oh, what if that happened? I'll just write that. I mean, I'm sure once you actually make these things, that changes a bit. But in terms of, like, the, there's a lot less um, struggle over whether you could just suddenly be in a barn... Huh, you know, okay, looking yeah, at the sky yeah. and think rather the pragmatic than, elements yeah, of production. Rather than then writing a monologue about if you somebody wanted who somebody to come sky, in on a horse. Exactly. They could go in on a horse. It wouldn't be that expensive <laughs> yeah, relative exactly. to the other things that could happen in a film. Yeah. So yeah, whereas like I did write a play with a cat yeah. in. Yeah. Which and then I'm now friends with a lighting designer on Facebook now, and he like actually bitched about it on Facebook the other day. I'm never going to do another play with a fucking cat in ever again. I've done two this year, never again. We never had a cat because that was like that was ruled out like, right. day one. I got there and I was like, you know, you're not having a cat, but right. we're going to make you a puppy. And then by the puppies work. Can I say puppies work? Puppies. Yeah, dogs. Yeah, I am. Like, I can testi testify. Okay. You what you know? Put a puppy in the end. Put a golden Labrador puppy in the last scene. <laughs> Whatever has happened before, people will love it. Well, but is it not a budget? Because I think it was a budget issue. Yeah, but the people with those budgets know how much money a golden Labrador right. puppy in the last scene can make you. No way. <laughs> that That's a tip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the what? Can I ask you? I feel like I want to go back and ask you, but you don't need to, and you don't need to answer it. Okay. About what? Because I, I, if I've been a proper interviewer. Yeah. I would have said, all right, what do you mean about the village by the things in that that you that people you're suspicious about its success in comparison to plays that you love yeah. more differently? Well I feel like the, there was a critical response to that play which was that this play is about reversing gender stereotypes. Right. And I had never imagined right. that writing a play about a woman wanting to have sex with her husband and him not wanting to was in any way a reversal of some kind of gender stereotype. Right. That I, to me, I, just, like, I think I'd been in that kind of relationship. Right. And so I just thought, well, that's obviously something that happens. So the critical body are bringing their own 
it's sort of like what that narrative is meant to be or yeah. in, is being kind of held up as a good example of. Yeah. That was never really... I didn't even understand that that was a narrative stereotype yeah. that I was attempting to reverse. Yeah. It wasn't about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just about how it feels yeah. to be in that relationship and, you know, to go through those things. or to, And then, obviously, it was about other things, yeah. but it wasn't... Yeah. It wasn't a device. For sure. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So now I now I feel, in a way, that voice is the voice you then have to try and get rid of, is the voice of, well, what are people going to think this is about that I don't even think it's about, that I have to be careful of next time I write a play in case I'm accidentally writing something which I don't even, which I'm not aware of, which then people are going to say it's about, or... For sure. You know, yeah. Which is especially weird if they think it's good for those reasons. I think if they think it's bad, and they say, this is a rubbish, and you can go, oh, well... I never meant it to be that anyway, you just didn't get it. I wonder, I, 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 this might be wrong, and really tell me it's fucking wrong if it's fucking wrong, but I, I, as you're talking, I'm wondering how gendered that feels, that notion that the narrative is defined by other people, so you're writing into other people's definitions. Yeah, I expect there's a lot of that yeah. that you don't know necessarily. Because the process of writing is just an attempt to articulate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then it so happens that the critics are one thing. Yeah. And they sort of represent one thing, but they also define what people maybe think, or maybe other theatres think. When they read the play, that's the problem, is that then the play... I mean, not to the average person watching it. I think people make up their own minds when they watch a play about... And I didn't change anything based on anything the critics had said. Yeah. I changed stuff on, on the basis of people afterwards saying to me, I hated that bit where she told him that she loved him. I thought that was bullshit. Mm. It really disappointed me. And I felt like, oh, yeah, because she wasn't really meant to love him. Right. She good. was just meant to be saying that because that's a sort of desperate thing you say in the moment when you're trying to make yourself feel better. Or yeah. So I just took that bit out when we did it in New York and I made her say something else instead which expressed that desperation better. But it wasn't. that wasn't a response to that other thing. I wouldn't change it because of that. As you're talking, as we talk about kind of the narrative defined by others, I think about Linda and I think about the way the aging, because that's one narrative which we can't have any agency over. Yeah. And I feel it very acutely now as I nearly hit fifty. Is the aging process? Linda's such a confident play, but I didn't realize. You, was it originally commissioned for the National Theatre? Can you say that? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Oh no, it wasn't. Right. I had a commission for the national and one for here. Yeah. And I hadn't really said who I was, what I was going to do. Very good. So I just ended up. It ended up that I handed it in here because they were they were changing over, and I just felt like it was more. How was that to write? How was Linda to write? Not necessarily really difficult. In what sense? Because I had to give myself permission to write that story, which I didn't really feel entitled. I think to write as a, as as I think. I was really interested in the story and I really wanted to tell the story, but I knew that it would be lacking the same story that I could write in 20 years, 20... Because you weren't old enough to yeah. write that character. Yeah. 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 Um, so I felt like... I think I'd write Linda better right. in the future. I think I'll read it and go, oh, what a load of shit. You didn't know anything. But I, but I wanted to write it anyway. I loved it. Like, I really... <laughs> I was really passionate about it. Oh, that, I mean, I don't, I don't think yeah. it's shit now. <laughs> yeah, but at the time of writing, but you had that anxiety. I had yeah. to get over that anxiety, For and sure. I just had to go, well, because then, you know, then I, I, you write these things about yourself, but you're also writing them about, uh, you're never just writing about yourself. Yeah. I guess in some sense, 
you know, well, I read that Arthur Miller was only 34 when he wrote Death of a Salesman, and I was older than Arthur Miller when he wrote Death of a Salesman, so I thought, well, if he can write that, then you can't hold yourself back just because of whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm going to add Arthur Miller to the list of playwrights that I hate. That is basically Ali McDowell. He probably wrote it by hand as well. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think he did. (laughs) Are there things? Can I see this question? This is a question. Can I hasten to clarify for you and anybody else listening to this that I really love Ali McDowell? Oh yeah. I don't know him. One of the brilliant (laughs) questions that he he uh, asked me one time was what what if you compare your first play which for you would be fucked, mm-hmm. yeah, to your most recent play. Mm-hmm. Which Have you written since, Linda? I have, but it hasn't been on. Right, but you've written it. You don't need to tell us anything yeah. about it. What have both of those plays got in them? Yeah. Is there anything that's in both plays? I think there's always a... There's always a woman right. having a crisis... Right. Of some kind, yeah. probably whatever that is. Yeah. A point of point of potential chaos and loss of control and crisis. Probably they've maybe all got that somehow. Yeah. Um, you write men really well, though. Is it not say though that so you you write men really well? But is it is it is it a conscious decision to you to, to return to female protagonists? Uh, I have actually written my first male protagonist. Right. It's a monologue. Yeah. Um, it's about the men's rights movement, so uh, it's Very a man. Important. Yeah. No, sorry, I don't so, want to. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an attempt to to um, like explore, I guess, uh, to be empathetically on the side of a man f- yeah. f- with whom I may, like, if I was to find myself in a pub, have a massive argument with. Right. But um, yeah. you know, I thought that would be interesting. Yeah, great. And um, how's it been to write that? Well, like. Uh, uh, good, I think yeah. it's good. I don't know if I could do it in the con- in the, any other context other than that of a monologue. Yeah, sure. Because I feel like in it's a very specific situation, and um, I do feel like theatre is about jobs as well, in a way. What I think maybe because I wanted to be an actress, and I always felt like there weren't any parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there weren't, definitely weren't any parts for me. Yeah. But there, def- there certainly weren't many parts anyway yeah. for people who were more successful actors. So I do some. So I feel like there's a job. I know, I'm aware I'm creating jobs, um, and I'd like to create jobs for women. For women, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the view that the you know the the equivalent of the you know the fifteen year old. Penelope Skinner in kind of 30 years' time is not necessarily associating theatre or playwriting as being a masculine domain. Mm-hmm. It seems like quite a decent thing to be doing. Why yeah. do you write for theatre now? What's theatre for for you? I feel like it's the, uh, the... Writing a play is the best kind of writing. Like when you're in a play, in the world of a play, yeah. and when you're immersed in that act of writing, mm. that is, the so far... The most enjoyable act of right. The f- there is a freedom, I think, in that, and a and a depth to it, and a kind of the experience of that writing. I prefer to writing for the other mediums. Mm. Um, but I think you do. Then you also feel aware. Oh, does anyone? Is anyone gonna? Is it gonna do anything? Mm. Is anyone gonna come and see it? Really? Is it? You know? 
could you write something that more people... I mean, if you write something for the radio, just like a million people sure. hear that. That's yeah. big, you know. Yeah. The radio would never want any of my ideas, but if they did, <laughs> I'd be happy. Because <laughs> there's yeah. something about that, you yeah. know, that, yeah. about reach or... Yeah, exactly. In that audience, that if the audience is important to you, yeah. which I think, I feel they are... Is it? Is yeah. the audience important to yeah, you? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, because I understand, as an audience member, how important storytelling has been for me as a person you know like stories have been in in good ways and bad ways have like shaped me do you like your I audience think. yeah yeah i do i like i like the audience probably best as i want them to have a good time mm. you know i want them to feel like they've spent their money yeah in a good way yeah not a shit way and kind of thinking about manhattan theater not just yeah. mtc or mcc but other theatres, there's something about the there's something unapologetic about an affection to the audience in those theatres. Yeah, it's, in those theatres, it's weird because they've paid their money anyway. Yeah, they they haven't necessarily bought a ticket to see your play; they've bought a ticket to see the whole season. Yeah, so that does feel a bit different because you do you can feel like they're there going, well, you better entertain me because I've bought a ticket to the whole season. There is a, a but I think individually as an audience, you never feel that sitting among the audience. Right. You don't feel like, and I and I always feel like I don't, like I'm happy for the audience. You know, there's I feel like there's a lot of comments in the theatre about how old the audience are as well, and yeah. I just feel like I don't mind. Like, why is that bad? Yeah. That's okay. I feel yeah. like old people matter. <laughs> they should be allowed to yeah. be an audience without yeah. that being. You know, like it's. Being young doesn't necessarily make you more relevant. No, and sure. so if theatre is dying... There's part of me rather irresponsibly is going back to you the discovery of giving out muffins to people that actually people are all right. Yeah, they're really <laughs> yeah. happy to get a muffin. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think. The, I the, uh, so let me, ask you two, let me ask you one more question. Yeah. Um, and this is stolen as well. Some, somebody asked this a friend of mine the other day there's a new invention that eradicates all your memory mm-hmm. of your entire career not of your life certainly mm-hmm. not of your beautiful dog mm-hmm. that would be unbearable even for me He's but all your memory now. of your career <laughs> He's apart, stop whining. apart from one thing okay what's the one thing they keep it's what's in the dog <laughs> what's the one thing you keep of my career one memory the best one thing, memory the best thing Oh, wow. The one moment, the one believe, night. You've just held up a sign that says five minutes and then asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> Can I email you the answer? Uh, one memory. Oh, see, that's very distracting as well. If you can't, then just don't worry, but I just thought it would be interesting. And we can edit around it. We can edit the wine around it. You can edit it. this giant pause. Yeah. Uh, Although I quite like giant pause. <laughs> It doesn't need to be your career. It could be something you've seen in the theatre. Oh. It could be the Jack Thorne play. It would probably be... It would probably be... Well, if it's something in the theatre, I went to see this knee-high production of Cymbeline. Or... Or, like, um... You know, I went to see that Death of a Salesman with Anthony Sher recently. Mm-hmm. And, I, oh, and, and I saw Fences. Have you seen the film of Fences? I've not now seen those, the film of it, but... Yeah, I saw the film. I didn't know the play, and I went to yeah. see the... Um, I went to see the... Oh, this was amazing. I went to see... This is the thing that I wouldn't delete because I think it's like a... I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I went to see Fences, the film. Yeah. And um, at the end, there was a talkback yeah. with Denzel Washington. And um, somebody 
the interviewer actually, the guy who was like comparing, asked him a question about the character that he plays in Fences, mm. who I can't remember his name, the main guy. Do you mm -hmm. remember his name? No, I don't. The main guy. Who you've watched go on this amazing journey of, you know, he's so, he's a flawed character, but by the end, you like you totally understand his humanity. You totally understand why he's done what he's done and why he is who he is, and mm -hmm. he's made all these decisions which you don't agree with, but you like totally a hundred percent. Well, I did. Felt yeah. like I got it. I got it, and I got something so massive from it. And it was like yeah. we were all crying, and then the interviewer just asked this really. He has a line. The son has a line. This is such a boring, long answer. Sorry, no, it's great. It's at, the end, at the end of the play, the son, the mum has a line. Somebody has a line which is like, somebody says something about the good in him. Yeah. And you, I mean, I felt like we all know exactly what that means. And then at the end, the interviewer asked this question, which was like, what did she mean? You know, what did she mean about the good in him? This horrible man that we've watched, you know, this awful mm. man we've watched for the whole time. And I just didn't understand it. And I just thought, wow, you just... Not everyone is, it doesn't matter how much of a thing of genius something is and how perfect it seems, some fucker is not going to get it. You know, like, some, he just wasn't ready mm. to understand what that whole thing was about. Yeah. And that, I feel like that was so, it was somehow, that, because that gave me that feeling like, give up, you're never ever going to do something this amazing, don't ever write a play again. Yeah. But somehow that reaction to it, made me feel better again yeah. because I was like it doesn't it doesn't matter because you can't n not everyone is going to think it's genius anyway so you may as well just carry on yeah. trying to do something yeah August Wilson will never know how many people he reached with that play or how yeah. many millions of yeah. people he eventually now has reached with the film um, but he'd probably be as upset by that comment as anything maybe he wouldn't it's a, it's an imperfect kind of dance. Exactly, that's it. You're never you're never you're never going to get there. You're never going to reach it. It's the thing you have to just keep trying. I think that's yeah. the thing. Penelope Gibson, thank you very very much indeed. Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the shop at the theatre. Come to the theatre. Come and see the plays. We're at Sloan Square. Come along. Come and see everything. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre. It's presented by me, Simon Stevens, and produced by the remarkable Anushka Warden and Emily Legg.